Amen. Well, how many of you brought your Bible? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building tonight? I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18, page number 412, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And I want to read some very familiar Familiar, uh, familiar verses tonight or a familiar chapter and uh, just leave you two or three things from this text tonight. And I hope that, that God will use it to help us and stir our hearts uh, in these days. Thank you again for being here today. Thank you for what you've given in this service to keep our church going. Hopefully in the next week or so we'll be uh, uh, talking about our future plans and uh, some things we need to take care of as far as moving forward into the future. And uh, so we'll unveil all that, roll it all out, and let you know what, uh, uh, what we feel like we ought to do. And then, of course, we got to get our church to go along with us about that. And so I hope you'll be praying about all that in the coming days. And then Wednesday night at 7, hope you'll be here for that as uh, we meet together in fellowship in our Wednesday night service. And then on June the 30th, we're having a graduation service here at our church. And it's not just a graduation service for for our Christian school because of the days that we're living in, you know, these extraordinary times where actually, uh, because a lot of our other kids are not going to be able to have a graduation uh, service, and so we've invited them to come in with our Christian school, and we're just going to have one big graduation service here on Tuesday night, June the 30th. And uh, so uh, I love, I love our Christian school kids. I love our church kids. And I want to tell you this, and I mean this with all of my heart. I am for the church. I am for the... You know, before we ever had a Christian school, we had a church. Am I right about that? And listen to me, the, the Christian school is not the, uh, is not the dog that wags the tail of our church. Our church wags the tail of the Christian school. And I'm for the church. I love our Christian school and thank God for it, but I'm for our whole church. And uh, so, and I've taken a little bit of heat about all that, and I hope you understand my heart. I just want to do something for all of our kids. You know, I just didn't want to just stick a diploma in the mail somewhere and just send it off to somebody and say, uh, you know, God bless you, thank you for coming, wish you best going forward in the future. But I, I didn't want to do that. I don't want to do that to our Christian school kids. I don't want to do that to our public school kids. So we plan tonight just to celebrate one big graduation service here for all of our Christian school and for our public school kids and for our college kids, we're going to gather together and just to make a little bit about all of them. Is that okay with y'all? I think that'd be okay if we just did it for everybody. And, and if you don't like it and you feel like I'm wrong about that, if you'll just pray for me because I've been wrong a couple of times since uh, 1962 when I was born into this world. But if you think I'm wrong about it, just pray for me. Look over my stupidity this year, and maybe things will be back to normal again next year. All right? And so thank you for understanding. I appreciate the good attitude of our Christian school parents, that they have the great attitude they've had regarding all of this. And it's just been a real blessing to me personally uh, for all of the great attitude and the great response that we've had out of this. All right, you're there now. 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, in, uh, page number 412. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? Now, how many of you know what this chapter is about? How many of you, you know what 1 Kings 18 is about? You know, there are just some chapters that just stick out in my mind. Genesis 3 is one of those chapters. Thank God for Genesis 3 uh, in our Bible. Tells us why we're in the mess that we're in today. Uh, I appreciate Genesis 3. And I thank God for... Uh, I thank God for Genesis 6 about Noah and the flood. That's a great chapter. And, and uh, boy, I think Isaiah 53 has to be a great chapter. And, and uh, John chapter 3, Nicodemus and Jesus, Nick at night, you know, 
coming to Jesus. And, and uh, there are great chapters that pop into my mind throughout the Word of God. But I'm telling you, right up there at the top of those great chapters has to be 1 Kings 18 because this is about Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. You remember the story and the contest that took place there? So with that said, let me just read verse 1 and verse 2. And then I'm going to ask you to really leave your Bibles open because we're going to get into this chapter a little bit together. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab. Now I want to stop. Can I just make a comment while I'm reading this? Three years prior to this, God has told Elijah to go hide himself. Remember that? Go down by the brook Cherith, and I want you to hide yourself down there. And, and now three years later, God said, Hey, Elijah, I want you to go show yourself. Now listen to me and hear me well. God will never tell us to go show ourselves till we first of all go hide ourselves. You know, one of the great things that we're missing in Christianity is that private, personal walk with God. Man, we want all the blessings that comes together when we meet in a public setting, in a congregational kind of setting. Boy, we want the power of God. Boy, we want the presence of God upon our services. When the problem is, the problem is, it's not that we're not showing ourselves. The problem is we're not hiding ourselves. And God will never tell us to go show ourselves till he first of all tells us to go hide ourselves. And buddy, I'm telling you, when you show yourself, if you've hidden yourself, and when you show yourself, great things are going to happen. So he says, all right, now verse 1. Hey, I want you to, Elijah, the third year, go show thyself unto Ahab. And I'm going to send rain. I'll send rain upon the earth. Now, it hadn't rained for three years. It hadn't rained. I'm talking about not a shower. I'm talking about not drizzle. I mean, it's not done anything for three years. And then God says all of a sudden, hey, I'm going to send some rain. Now look at verse 2. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab. And there was a sore famine. You can imagine there'd be a sore famine if it hadn't rained in three years. And there was a sore famine in Samaria. And I want to continue tonight preaching on the subject of revival. All right? Let's pray. Father, please bless your word tonight. Thank you for good music and good singing. Thank you for this good crowd that's assembled together on this Sunday evening. And I pray you'd speak to us now. Touch our hearts in this service from this text. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, last Sunday night, I told, I told our church family that for the next few Sunday evenings, God had put it in my heart to preach a little bit on the subject of revival. And by the way, I'm thinking about John Nelson's having surgery in the morning. Please remember to pray for him. He's having surgery in the morning. I had it wrote down here, didn't mention it, so please pray for John Nelson. I've been thinking in my heart, been working in my heart about the subject of revival. And last Sunday night, you may remember, we looked at the, I guess what we could call the, uh, the prayer of revival. In Isaiah chapter 64, when the prophet started praying, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. Oh, that thou wouldest come down. And then you know the story there. And we kind of got a little definition, a little biblical definition of what revival is. And I told you last Sunday night that revival, the best way to define revival, giving it a scriptural definition would be this right here. Revival is when God rends the heavens. You see, because of our sins, the heavens kind of get brassy. They kind of get shut up. But revival comes when God breaks through that. He rends it. He tears 
through the heavens. And then we're told that he breaks through and then comes down and rekindles the, rekindles the fire that causes the waters to boil. How many of y'all remember that from last Sunday night? Well, that's a definition of what revival is. And that's what we need to pray for in these days. God, come down. God, rend the heavens. God, rekindle the fire. And God calls the waters to boil again. That's what revival is. I'm praying God will do that in our hearts and in our lives. Well, tonight, I want to kind of take it a little bit of a step farther. And I want to go tonight in 1 Kings chapter 18, and I want to talk a little bit about the subject of revival. Now, of course, what we have here in our text is the story of Elijah and the confrontation of the prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel. This is a showdown that took place at sundown. And let me tell you something, it makes for fascinating reading. If you ever think the Bible is a boring book, read 1 Kings chapter 18. Oh my soul. You talk about a fascinating chapter uh, when Elijah against those prophets of Baal and they have that contest and they're praying for fire and the God that answers by, prayer, uh, by fire is the, is the God that they're going to serve. That's just a little bit about this chapter. But we know there's more here than just meets the eye. Because many people call 1 Kings chapter 18 a manual on the subject subject of revival. In other words, we read in this chapter about revival, and of course by the end of this chapter, a people that uh, were, were complacent, a people that, uh, a people that were in limbo, a people didn't know which way to go. At the end of this chapter, the fire of God has fallen, and the people are on their faces on the ground and they're saying the Lord he is God the Lord you me tell you what happened revival came God rent the heavens God broke through God started a fire and God caused the waters to boil again and the people said the Lord he is God revival took place it's a great manual on the subject of revival so tonight I want to preach on this right here I want to preach on revival now Revival, how, and revival, wow. How many of y'all with me on that? I'm talking about the subject of revival. Revival now, revival how, and revival, wow. And all of that's found right here in our text tonight. So let's start, let's start number one. Let's talk a little bit about revival now, revival. Now, now, I'm going to stay in our text, but I want to make some comparisons between that day and this day and age in which we live. So let me just start by saying if there was ever a dark day in the history of the nation of Israel, it was the day, it was the, during the days of this chapter. The nation of Israel, morally speaking, the nation of Israel, politically speaking, the nation of Israel, spiritually speaking, and the nation of Israel, economically speaking, was in real trouble trouble. I'm telling you, it was a dark day in the history of the nation of Israel. And may I just say that it's a dark day in the history of the United States of America as well. I might could say that these days in America are dark days politically in America. These days are dark days morally in America. These days are dark days spiritually in America. And these days are dark days economically in America. America, and if there's ever been a time that we need revival, if there was ever a time in this text when the nation of Israel needed revival, it is now. 
Revival now. If there's ever been a time God's people need to stir it up, if there's ever been a time we need for the fire of God to rekindle the waters and to cause the waters to boil again, it's in these days that you and I are living in. So you understand now when I say revival now. It's not a matter of, uh, you know, us making it without revival because I'm here to tell you, friend, I mean, I mean, if we don't have revival, we're goners for sure. I'm telling you, it's not just maybe might can squeak by if we don't have revival. Friend, I'm here to tell you, we must, we've got to pray for revival. I remember years ago getting a little brochure in the, in the mail. It was announcing a revival meeting, and it said this, revival for survival. And that was years ago. But can I tell you something? Now in America, now is the time that it's either revival for survival, or friend, we're not going to make it as a nation. I'm telling you, we're just, a, I'm not over-exaggerating. You see what I see. You read what I read. You hear what I hear. Friend, I'm here to tell you it's time. we got to wake up. It's time for God's people to pray for revival now. Now, why do we need revival now? Well, I'm glad you asked because I want you to look at this text tonight. And can I just show you from this text why revival is needed now in America? First of all, I want you to see, number one, revival is needed now because of compromisers. Because of compromisers. Now look at verse number 3, and we're introduced to a man, an unusual man in our text by the name of Obadiah. Now the name Obadiah means this. has a great name. It means the servant of the Lord. And when we read about him in verse number 3, let me, uh, the last phrase of verse number 3, we really think Obadiah's a good man because the Bible said the last phrase of verse 3 that Obadiah feared the Lord. And didn't you notice this superlative at the end of that? He feared the Lord greatly. And then we just read a little bit later in verse number 4 that Jezebel, the wicked uh, ruler of the nation of Israel, has ordered that all of God's, pre all of God's prophets be cut off. Now, for Sy County language, what that means is she's ordered for all the prophets of God to be killed. Well, this man by the name of Obadiah, he wants to serve the Lord. He feared the Lord greatly. So to his, uh, his credit, the Bible said in verse number 4 that he took a hundred of God's prophets and he got himself two caves and he put 50 in one cave and he put 50 in the other cave and so they wouldn't starve to death. He had some fresh water and some fresh bread to take care of God's men. Now, reading that point about Obadiah, we think, well, Obadiah's a good man. That's right. I mean, he fears the Lord greatly. His name means the servant of the Lord. He wants to do something for God. But let me tell you something about Obadiah. Obadiah was a good man, but he had a problem. And his problem is found there in verse number three, where the Bible said that he was governor of the house of of Ahab. In other words, we, we gather from that that he was in an alliance. Can I say it like this? He's in an agreement. He is in a friendship with a wicked man, an ungodly man by the name of Ahab. Now, it's very obviously that he's a good man, but it's also obvious that he's in a relationship that he shouldn't be in. He's in a friendship with, uh, with Ahab. You see, uh, under the leadership of Ahab, Obadiah had gained a high place 
and a high position and no doubt a good salary. He was an official in the household of Ahab. He probably made a substantial income and was well known throughout the land of Israel. So now he faces a great dilemma. He wants to serve God. He wants to take care of God's prophets, but he enjoys the position that he's got. He enjoys the place and the, and the prestige that he's got in the nation of Israel. So the one thing that I get from all this is this. We don't find anywhere in this chapter where he speaks up for the Lord. We don't find anywhere in this chapter where he takes a stand for God and he says, Ahab, you old wicked king, you need to get God, there's nowhere in this text that he takes a stand for God. He seems to be one like so many of us who wants to slip through this world incognito, not take a stand for God, not let people know where we stand. We want to try to be a friend of the world and a friend of God. And ladies and gentlemen, because of that, we've compromised our convictions tonight. In fact, if you'll look at this text in verse number 5, Ahab tells Obadiah, I want you to go out, Obadiah, and I want you to look for some water. Now, can I stop and say this? Obadiah knows why there's no water in the land of Israel. Obadiah knows why there's a famine in the land of Israel. Obadiah knows why the grasses have died and the wells have gone dry. Obadiah knows why the livestock are dying out in the fields. He knows why. You know why? Because God... God in judgment is withholding the rain from the nation of Israel. Let me show you what the Bible said about this. Back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse number 23, the Bible said, and I read this verse last week, but the Bible said when God's people started disobeying the Lord, God said, I'm going to make the heaven over thy head to become brass and the earth that is under thee shall be iron. Now, can I stop before I read the next verse and say this? We got Doppler radar today. We got El Nino. We got weather patterns. We got satellite imagery. But I will tell you something, friend. There's a God in heaven that can still reach up in heaven and cut the spigot off when God's people disobey him. I don't care. You can call it El Nino, El Nina. You can call it whatever you want to call it. You can call it weather patterns. But I still believe there's a God glory that got his hand on the throttle of the weather and God can do what God wants to do about the weather, friend. And because of their sin, God said, I'm going to make the heavens brass. I'm going to make the, the earth that is under you iron. And then he went on to say this in the next verse. The Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust from heaven. It shall come down upon thee until thou beatest why it had been three years since it had rained? I'll tell you why. Because God's people, the nation of Israel, had turned their back on God. They had started worshiping Baal and going totally, totally contrary to the plan of God for their life. And now Ahab, the wicked king, says to Obadiah, the prophet, go search for water. Let me tell you something. Hey, Obadiah had no business looking for water. I'll tell you what he ought to have been doing. He ought to have been praying for rain instead of looking for water. And buddy, I'll tell you something. In our society today, we go here and there looking for rain, uh, praying for, uh, looking for water. But I'll tell you what we ought to do. We ought to be praying for the showers, her blessings to fall once again upon this land. Our churches today are filled with Obadiahs. Good people but people just like Obadiah. I mean, he should have spoke up when the king said, go look for some water, Obadiah. Obadiah said, king, with all due respect, he should have said, king, with all due respect, we don't need to go looking for water. What we need to do is get our hearts right with God.
We need to pray for some rain. But he didn't want to lose that position. He didn't want to lose that standing, that prestige. He didn't want to take a, a stand for God. And he just compromises and he goes looking and searching for water. I'll tell you why we need revival now. Because God's people have compromised on the Lord. What used to be 10, 15 years ago, we would distance ourselves from. We now tolerate it. Many of us are even involved in doing it. What used to be wrong, what we used to preach against, what we used to say was sin and wicked and ungodly, we embraced it. We brought it into our houses. We've adopted it. We're tolerating it. And we've compromised on the Lord. And we need to get back to the place, brother, where we honor God and serve God and love the Bible, love the Word of God, and do what's right. We need revival now because of the compromisers. Amen. And you know I'm telling you the truth. I mean, there were 10, 15 years ago, our youngest wouldn't walk around in these short dresses. Our wives wouldn't walk around in these short dresses. Hey, we wouldn't have rode out of the church parking lot with country music blaring on our radios or rock music. Hey, we wouldn't be going to the movies and to the stinking hell holes of this world. You know why? They were wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, what's changed? Has the world got better? Yeah, man, don't look down. It's preaching time right now. Has the world got better? No, sir. The world's got red. And I'm telling you, instead of us moving farther away from it, we've taken steps toward it. We need revival. We need to pray, oh God, rend the heavens, come down, rekindle the fire, let the waters boil because we've compromised on the Lord. We need revival now because of the compromises. Boy, this is going to be good. We need revival now because of the corruptors. I'm talking about the politicians now. Maybe you'll say amen now a little bit. Yeah. You may tell you why they need a revival now in this day. I'll tell you why. Because Ahab and Jezebel was running the show. But they had some wicked politicians. And let me tell you something. That crowd had done great detriment to the cause of God in the land of Israel. I'm telling you, we read this about Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse number 30. We read this. And Ahab the son of Omri, listen to this now, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. I mean, God said out of all the kings that's reigned over the nation of Israel, none has been as bad as Ahab was. And then just a couple of verses later, we read this about him. The Bible said a couple of verses later, Yes, sir, and Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before. The Bible said that God, Ahab, made God matter than all the other kings in Israel put together. I'll tell you something about Ahab and Jezebel. I'll tell you something about Pelosi and Schumer. I mean Ahab and Jezebel. I'll tell you something. They did more to make God mad than all the other kings put together combined had done. The Bible said, and by the way, look at verse 17. And when Ahab finally sees the prophet of God, he blames the prophet of God for the condition that the nation of Israel finds itself in. He said, hey, hey, preacher. 
Hey, prophet, art thou he that troubleth Israel? I want you to look right here. Hey, you hear me and hear me well. It's not the Bible-believing, Holy Ghost-indwelled, blood-washed, Bible-carrying child of God. We're not the problem in America. Hey, we've got the solution. We know the one who is the answer. We know the one who is the solution. We're not the problem. It's these wicked, corrupt politicians that's running the show, that's destroying our nation. Amen. We need revival now because of the corruptors. Amen. Ahab and Jezebel did their best to, to destroy any remembrance of God in the nation of Israel. They hated God's people. They hated God's prophets. The Bible said that they blamed God's people for the condition of their land. They're doing their best to wipe from the minds of God any remembrance of the Lord. They were trying to rewrite the history of the nation of Israel. They were trying to say it wasn't Jehovah God that delivered us. It's Baal that brought us to this point. It's Baal that's made us the nation that we are. Oh, but friend, you and I know different. We know, thank God, there was a God in glory who made Israel what they are. And there's a God in heaven that made America what it is. Yes, sir, the corruptors. Uh, can I tell you this? Our nation doesn't have any better citizens than the Bible-believing child of God that loves the Lord, that loves people, and loves our God. We're not the prophet. We're not the problem. They are. They want to peddle their liquor and create drunks. They want to peddle their pornography and create pedophiles. They want to peddle their lottery tickets and create, create gamblers. They want to kill babies, cram their immorality down our throats, get us to change our mind about perversion. They want to bankrupt our country and then have the audacity to look at us and say, y'all are the problem. We're living in days of crooked deals. We're living in days of pet pills. We're living in days of cheap thrills. We're living in days when you can't tell Jack from Jill. And I'm here to tell you, it ain't our problem. It ain't our fault. There's a crowd running this nation that's trying to destroy this place. And we need revival now because of the compromisers, the Obadiahs, we need revival now because of the Schumers and the Pelosi's, better known in their Bible as Ahab's and Jezebel's. And we need revival now because of, of the complacent. Here's what bothers me about all this. Look at our text. When Elijah finally comes together and he confronts, oh Ahab. By the way, I like verse 18. Verse 17, Ahab says to Elijah, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Look what the preacher said, verse 18. Don't get mad at preachers who preach. Look what he said. He answers it, I've not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and that thou hast followed Baal. He said, Ain't it my fault what's going on around here? I'm looking at the problem right now, he said. Well, then he gets together and says, hey, we're going to settle this contest. We're going to settle this once and for all. We're going to have a contest. And the God that answers by fire is the God that we're going to serve. But now here's what bothers me. Look at verse 21. The Bible said this, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. But here's what bothers me. And the people... Answered him not a word. I mean, somebody, 
Somebody ought to took a moment and gave a word of testimony about right then. Somebody ought to stood up and said, I'll tell you what, Bill ain't never done nothing for me. But God brought my daddy across that Red Sea. God brought my daddy across that flooded out Jordan River. God brought my daddy, my grandpa, into this land of Canaan, the God of heaven. That's the God we're going to serve. But the people, the, the, they were complacent about it all. It almost seems like we don't want to be bothered by this. I mean, we're just, hey, look, man, we want to go along to get along. And I'm telling you, that attitude is killing America. We just want to try to love everybody. Hey, we want to have a little bit of Baal and a little bit of Jehovah God. And hey, we want to, we want to sing Amazing Grace, but we also want to sing that a little contemporary music. And hey, we want to worship the old time way, but hey, we don't want to, we don't want to reign on the new time methods. And, and we just want everybody to be happy. That's killing us. Hey, if God's God, let's follow God. If Baal's God, let's go with Baal. But in God's name, let's don't just stand there. And, you know how long halt ye? That means teeter back and forward. I cut a tree one time, big old tall pine tree. And I looked up, and I'm not a, I'm not a good tree cutter. I cut my own, almost cut my face off one time with a chainsaw. But I cut, it was a huge pine tree. And I just started sawing. I didn't notch it. I thought, well, it's leaning that way. It's probably going to fall that way. And that was away from the house, and that was fine with me. And I started cutting that thing, and about halfway through, it pinched my saw together, and I couldn't get my saw out. So it was just stuck. And I looked up, and the top of that tree was going just like this. I thought, oh, dear God, it's going to fall right through the roof of the house. It was, it was tottering. It was trying to make up its mind which way it was going to fall. And I'm going to tell you where America's at. America's tottering right now. They're tottering back and forth. They don't know what to believe. Furthermore, they don't even care right now. I mean, man, it's just, let's it's just, it's just try to get along. Hey, let's quit rioting. Hey, let's quit burning stuff down. Let's just try everybody to get along. Let's just, let's just love one another. Friend, I'll tell you something, friend. As long as we can get people to love in God, we can get people to love in one another. But as long as we don't love God, there ain't a hope of prayer in this world to get people to love one another. Complacent people. Complacent. They just seemingly wanted to be left alone. I'll tell you why they didn't go with God because they hadn't seen anything from God in a while. Can I tell you something, man? All they've been seeing is this, this dried up bell worship. That's all they knew anything about. They hadn't seen anything that was real for all these years Ahab was in the White House. I mean, man, they hadn't seen anything that was real. God had just, uh, God had just uh, grown uh, indifferent and silent, wrapped himself in the shrouds of the clouds, and there was no real demonstration of the power of God. But I'll tell you something, let, let this crowd see something that's real. Hey, what we need, what we don't need is a new definition of the gospel. What we do need is a new demonstration of the power of God, friend. That's why we need revival now. There's a complacent crowd. Can I tell you something? I know we shout when the preacher preaches on Schumer and Pelosi, and I get that. But they ain't nowhere in that black King James Bible, my Schofield Bible, it says politicians are keeping us from having revival. There ain't nowhere in this Bible that says the baby killers are keeping us from having revival. There ain't nowhere in this Bible where God said that lost people are keeping us from having revival. I'm going to tell you where the problem's at. Right here. We need revival now. Number one, revival now. Now let's jump to this. You say, preacher, how? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
Look in our text. We not only see that we need revival now, but we see how to have a revival. We see having revival, how to do it. Revival how? Look over now, if you will, and here's what happens. So verse 22, 23, 24, the contest, the rules are laid out. All right, you guys, you, you people, y'all build your altar. Put your sacrifice on. Y'all call on your God. I'll do likewise. And then he says this, the God that answers by fire is the one we're going to serve. Verse 24, and they said, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it's well spoken. Let's do it. And then the contest begins, verse 25. Elijah says to you boys, y'all go first. They get them a bullock, build them an altar. Uh, they call on God. They don't put any fire under it. And I mean they have a contemporary worship service. Look at verse 26. They took the bullock, which was given them. They dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar, which was made. It came to pass at noon. Elijah's mocking them. Verse 28, they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancet till the blood gushed out upon them. I mean, man, you talk about throwing a fit. These boys throw a fit. But there was no answer. You know why? Their God may have eyes, but he can't see. Their God may have ears, but he can't hear. Their God may have hands, but he can't feel. Their God may have feet and legs, but he can't move. Their, their God is no God. Then Elijah said, all right, boys, y'all have had long enough. Get out of the way, verse 29. And Elijah shows us how to have revival. The first thing he did, number one, to have revival, we're going to have to repair the altar. Now look what happened. The Bible said in verse 29, verse 30, the Bible said, and Elijah said, and all the people come near unto me, and the people came near unto him, and he what? He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. They had done away with the altar. Elijah said, man, if we're going to have revival, we've got, we got to do some work on the altar. Can I tell you something? How do you have revival? God's people have got to do some work on the altar. Amen. I mean, buddy, we got to get back to the place. You know something? I know. I get it. But you know, people say, probably think to themselves, all that preacher's interested in is getting people to come to the altar. But that's not the case. Can I tell you something? It don't bother me when people come to the altar every service. That don't bother me. But I'll tell you what does bother me. When people never come to the altar. I mean, you can sit in church for 10 years and not get convicted about something. We need to fire the preacher. If you ain't convicted about something, we need to, we need to bring in a new preacher. We need to go to the bullpen. And I mean, call one in. We got to bring somebody in. If you can sit in church and not be convicted in 10 years and have to come to the altar over something, I mean, under God, the preacher ain't doing his job. Or number two, God's calling, but you ain't picking up the phone saying hello. It don't bother me that people come every service. What bothers me is how people can go 25 years and never have to make a trip to the altar. I'm just saying if we're going to have revival, how you do it? We've got to repair the altar. Do some work on the altar. Notice number two, not only repair the altar, but I thought about this. We've got to remember the sacrifice. The Bible said there in verse 30, uh, he took the stone. Verse 32, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Verse 33, the Bible said he laid, he cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood. That's a picture of Calvary. 
I mean, buddy, we got to repair the altar. We got to remember the sacrifice. What is it the old saying is? You go to Calvary for pardon. You linger for power. Hey, I want to tell you something. We got to get back to Calvary, friend. We got to repair the altar. We got to remember the sacrifice. Look at this. We got to resort to praying. The Bible said after he did all this, verse 36, that Elijah, uh, verse 36, verse 37, he started praying. He resorted to praying because unlike their God, our God has ears and he can hear. Our God has eyes and he can see. Our God has hands and he can feel. And then watch this. They reduced themselves. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you look at Elijah's prayer, verse 36, verse 37, when he starts praying, he's wanting God to do something to show those people that he's God's prophet. Am I right? I mean, look at this. Verse 36, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. So he starts off praying, God, let this crowd know that I'm your preacher. But by the time he gets through in verse 37, he's through with all that. He's saying, God, forget all that. What we want is this crowd to know, not that I'm God, your, your preacher, but this crowd needs to know that you're God in heaven. Can I tell you something? If we want revival, why do we want it? If we want it just so we can make a name for Woodland Baptist Church, we're never going to have revival. Because it's not about us, friend. I mean, our, our motive for having revival is so that this community, this area can know there's a Lord God in heaven that reigns supreme. Revival now. Revival how? But then look at verse 38. Revival, wow. That's all you can say about it. Look at verse 38. Then, after he prayed, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. Can I say this? When the fires of God's revival falls, there'll be some things that'll get burned up. Can I tell you something? You can't help get close to God without some things getting consumed in your life. Amen. There's some things right now, that old stuff that we got going on in our life, that if we could get close to God and have revival, God, the fire of God would burn that stuff up in our life. Amen. How many of y'all got stuff that needs to get burned up? I got some stuff that needs to get burned up. The Bible said the fire of the Lord fell. And the Bible said that it consumed some things, but also like this, it confirmed some things. Look again at verse 38. The Bible said when the fire of the Lord fell, verse 39, the people saw it, fell on their faces, and it confirmed one thing to those people. And that's what? The Lord, he's God. The Lord, he's God. Can I watch this? Wow. Man, that's the kind of revival we need. Wow. And then if you look at verse number 41, just said to Ahab, you better get out of here. I mean, you better run for your life. There's getting ready to be a rain like we ain't had in a long time around here. And it didn't long till the rains of God are falling from heaven once again. What do you say about that? Oh, I know. Wow. Say it with me. Wow. On the count of three. One, two, three. Wow. You know what kind of revival we need? Wow. Amen. Revival. Let's bow our heads for prayer.